When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you so much for listening to this. It's Something Rhymes with Purple. It's a podcast all about words and language. And Susie Dent and I, who created this a year or so ago, are very conscious that there are a huge number of podcasts out there and that you have chosen ours is lovely for us. And we know that actually it imposes some responsibility on us to be uh, informative and, if possible, entertaining so that you don't feel that as you're commuting to work or doing your walk or trying to get to sleep, we are entirely (laughs) wasting your time. We are honoured by your company. And I'm privileged to know Susie Dent, who knows more about words and language than anybody else in the world. And I I love people like you who know a great deal. I was a friend of... Patrick Moore, eventually Sir Patrick Moore, Mm. the astronomer, the amateur astronomer. He was just an enthusiast for the stars. He was one of life's enthusiasts. He also played the xylophone quite brilliantly. Mm. He was a delightful human being. And when I was waxing eloquent, I felt one day with him about the wonders of the English language, telling him how many hundreds of thousands of words there were, and if you encountered all the derivatives and all the technical terms, how many millions of words there were. He said that pales into insignificance when you look up in the sky. Mm. There is so much out there, and we haven't even begun to name them all. So I thought, Susie, today we could talk, we could do a bit of stargazing. Do you ever look up at the sky? Yes, I find them totally bewitching. And it's a fascinating subject. And as I will tell you, so many star-related images are actually embedded in English, which is um, all the more reason to completely love them. Am I right in thinking, Patrick Moore, the reason he had a bad eye was because he had indeed looked at the sun with a telescope? Is that right? That, or is that-, that is the line that he took. Yeah. Yes. He was okay. a curious character. You'll never see a photograph of Patrick Moore, who's a very jolly man, smiling. Mm. He felt the smile was inappropriate, so he always scowled for the camera, uh, wore a monocle, to yes. cover his problem with his, this is I, but had gone a bit wonky. So he would have known the answers to all this. You know the answers. Where do we begin? Well, Can I we don't know with- all of them because I'm as, I'm as a curious a traveller of the stars as anyone, but I'll do my best. Where in the galaxy should we begin? With the planets? Let's start with the planets. So <laughs> it's Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune. Ah. Um, so the gas giants are Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune. And then they're the smaller. Excuse me, ones. what about the planet Zog? Oh, Zog. I forgot about Zog. We mm. always need one with a Z. Okay. So Mercury. Yeah. Which came first? A mercurial personality? Oh. The Greek figure of Mercury or the planet? Why? How do these planets get their names? Who gave them to them? Uh, how do they affect our language? Well, that's a really good question. As I say, I am not an astrologer or an astronomer, so forgive me if I get some of these facts wrong, but a mercurial person would have been named after Mercury, the Roman messenger god. 
So he, of course, was known for his ability to travel really quickly with wings on his feet. Hence, he will get mercury in thermometers, etc. So mercurial is somebody who is very quick, sort of quick tempered and, and shifts and changes moods quite quickly. So that's mercury. Then you've also got somebody who's Saturnine, of course, and they tend to be quite gloomy. And they would be named after the king of the Titans who ruled the world before Jupiter. Why, why, what the sort of gloomy connection would be, I'm not quite sure. But can you have a guess as to venereal and who that might be named after? Venus, the goddess yes. of love. Because unfortunately, love making in the wrong, with the wrong people at the wrong time in the wrong way hmm. can result in venereal disease. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. It's a bit of a sad legacy, isn't it? But of course, Aphrodite gave us aphrodisiac. Um, as well. So there's goddesses of, of love. But I always thought that's a bit sad that Venus's legacy is that rather than, you know, anything like Mercurial or Saturnine. Um, Uranus was the ancient Greek king of the gods and oh. the original Roman sky god. So he's like Jove. Uh, yes. Now, Jove was... Well, Jove is Jupiter, isn't he? Jove is Jupiter, exactly. So he was king of the Roman gods. That's a, it's, it's the largest planet in our solar system. It's very confusing. There are Greek gods and, and Roman, Roman gods. Yes. Which came first, the Greeks? The Greeks, yes. And then, and then the Romans renamed the Greek gods yes. with different... Fine. Yes, so exactly. So there's a, there's a Greek name and a Roman god named for all these gods. Yes, it is quite confusing. I totally agree. Neptune was the Roman god of the sea. And because of the beautiful cerulean colour of the sea, Neptune seemed a fitting choice for that planet. And Pluto, we've talked about, Roman god of the underworld. And as you say, it, it, the underworld is supposed to be dark and cold, just like the planet or dwarf planet now, Pluto. Mars, R Roman god of war. Oh, I thought it was a chocolate. Oh. Um, that, I do that's know, the red planet. That I always love the fact that Mars, the Mars bar, is not named after Mars the planet. No. It's named after Mr. Mars, who Mr. actually Mars. made the original Mars bars. And Milky Whereas, Way. He made the Milky Way as well. He made the Milky Way. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's extraordinary. Yes. Anyway, um, yes. so Martian. Martian skills, meaning Mars. Oh, Martian warlike. Yes, because Mars was the god of war. So, I, yeah, I think, we've, I think we've gone through most of those. No, well, no. What I was wanting to establish is... Somebody decided once upon a time, we're going to name the planets. And they chose, these are mostly the Greek or the Latin names here? Mercury. Both. We oh. tend to use, I think, probably mostly the Roman names for these. And absolutely, we named them after the gods. And this is about the 15th, 16th century when stargazing became a big thing and people like Galileo were looking up there with their telescopes. Is oh, that when Galileo. it was happening? Galileo, yes. I think that's where my love of astronomy began. Well, not love, as I say, I'm not an astronomer, but my love of the stars began, was watching Bertolt Brecht's Life of Galileo and learning about him and how he was forced to recant and things. It's quite quite a story. But yes, and then after this, people born during the ascendancy of a particular planet were thought to be susceptible to its powers. Hence, as we say, all, all those adjectives to describe people. Oh, I'm with you. Very good. Mm. Okay, so those are the names of the planets. You mentioned the Milky Way. Why is that so called? Well, that goes back to Greek myth and Zeus who brought his son, apparently Heracles, home for Hera or Hera to breastfeed while she was sleeping. And Hera didn't like Heracles because the child was half mortal, but also more importantly, was a result of an affair that Zeus had had. So not hers. And when she awoke, she 
pushed Heracles away, which caused a few drops of milk to spill into the night sky. That's mm. the Milky Way. That's that's the myth. And the Romans picked it up. They named the galaxy Via Lactea, Road of Milk. So they took that. And then all sorts, throughout all different languages, there's some beautiful names for the Milky Way. So the Chinese called it the Silver River which is to do with an, a legend um, in their stories. It seems like every culture has a beautiful story to account for this idea of the Milky Way. It's intriguing. I suppose it's because of the man, Mr. Mars, who created the Mars Bar, that his company decided to, well, we've had a success with Mars, let's have <laughs> similar names, and then created the Milky Way. And then there's a chocolate bar called a galaxy, as Absolutely. I Yes, Milky Way was named because it kind of tastes a bit like milkshake, doesn't it? So I'm sure they were riffing on the space theme, as you say, but it it had some kind of rationale to it. And yes, galaxy. So galaxy is from the Greek gala, meaning milk, and galactos is the milky thing in the sky. And then the Romans took that name on and then called it the Milky Circle or Galaxius so just lots of people kind of picking up on these words throughout the cultures and, and as I say, adapting them themselves. And beyond the planets, are there other words that we've, as it were, stolen from outer space? Well, I think more importantly, it's the belief in the power of the stars. So astrology obviously has, you know, ancient traditions, but it's more the idea that the alignment of the stars can produce good or bad results. So if you think about the disaster we've talked before, haven't we, about that going back to disastro in Italian, meaning bad stars, because any ill event, I suppose, or adverse event was thought to be born from the influence of the stars. And we we mentioned asterisk, didn't we? I think that was why we said we would do something on the planets, because asterisk means little star, and an astronaut is a star sailor. We have the word dismal. That's really interesting, because astrology is at work here too, because medieval calendars designated two days in every month. They called them the Dies Mali, the evil days, when the stars were inauspicious and bad luck was definitely going to follow. And that Dies Mali eventually morphed over the century into our much looser adjective dismal. But it was all thought to be under the, you know, the influence of the stars and the bad days. Influenza. Influenza is Italian for influence because it was the influence of the stars that were thought to cause epidemics of disease that had no clear earthly cause. So, yeah, the, the lot, lots of English, in fact, desire is another one. Desire is beautiful because it means to wish upon a star almost. Oh. Isn't that beautiful? It goes back to another Latin term for star, not aster this time, but sidus, S-I-D-U-S, which is just beautiful. And put those two to explain that, how you get out of sidus, how you get desire. S-I-D-U-S, because it was desiderae eventually, or desiderare, ah. I think even, and eventually it was shortened from the French desiree. Um, But it also gave us consider because we wouldn't consider doing things unless the stars were properly aligned. Wow. Amazing, isn't it? Just normal words. Have Mm. you had a star named after you? I think you can get asteroids named after you. Oh, can you? Uh, Oh, yes, I I know that because most things I know because I made a little film about them for The One Show. And I seem to remember we did a film on, I think we wanted to get an asteroid named after Alex Jones. Not sure that we succeeded. Um, the other people who'd had asteroids named after them included Isaac Newton, Jane Austen, Charles Dickens, but more recently, Stevie Wonder uh, and Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury, there you are, named after a planet, which is pretty interesting. Oh, really? Hmm. Explain oh, this to me. You talk about people's meteoric rise. 
Mm. And now I imagine that comes from a meteor, which flies at great speed through the sky. Mm. But it's funny to talk about a meteoric rise because I imagine meteors actually plummet. They do. They don't rise, they fall. They do fall. And yes, yeah, so it's a really strange, deliberate linguistic misunderstanding. I suppose just because we love to big things up, don't we? We love a bit of linguistic inflation. And meteorus is mean a Greek word meaning lofty. So, you know, it already has that idea of kind of being up in the ascendancy. But as you say, yeah, they fall, they don't rise. So it's, it's a completely naff <laughs> expression. Take 100% the cake of the English language, as we have it today, of that cake, How big a slice is the Latin language and the ancient Greek language of what we are speaking today? Okay. Well, the first thing to say is it it would be foolish to differentiate between Latin and Greek because Greek words came through Latin, then travelled through, they usually ended up in French, and then they came to English. So you've got a long route there. So it would be silly to say this from Greek and this from Latin because you know, very often they, they're kind of on the same path, but probably about 60%, I would say. I mean, it's a vast amount. And the Vikings, for all their influence and for all the sort of pithy, earthy words that they gave us, they didn't give us quite as much as we might imagine. And there, we are a Germanic language still, even though we talk about those kind of Greek and Latin roots, you know, and, and that, of course, was Anglo-Saxon and the and the Old English is, is far and away the, the sort of biggest part of the rest. Good. So we owe the majority of our language, to Latin, Greek, uh, the Romance languages coming up through France and yeah. into Britain. Thank yes. you for clearing that up. Yeah. Uh, waxing and waning. The moon waxes yeah. and wanes. People yeah. wax eloquent. They wane. Uh, mm. those, have those been words been around a long time? Yeah, wa- wax is, okay, this is a nice one, actually. It's a nice um, segue or segue, as I once said on Countdown, from that question about Latin and Greek, because to wax is actually very much a Germanic word. So in German, to grow is wachsen, W-A-C-H-S-E-N. And that's where we got wax from, because the V sound of their W became a W. Do you wax? But I mean, do you wax? I mean, I've do heard I wax of this my w- legs? Yes. And Who are we like talking that. about? Oh, gosh, this is a bit of a, a shift. Ooh. Do you? Uh, well, I have waxed my chest in my time. Have you? Is that for yeah. cycling? On your tricycle, you know? No, If you no, waxed your chest, you'd go so I much I haven't more done quickly. it recently. But a few years ago, somebody said to me, oh, you should wax your chest. And I said, really? Is that necessary? Oh, yes, because you're neither one thing nor other. You haven't got a hairy chest. Because there were people, you'll find this hard to believe, in the 60s, um, people liked to have a hairy chest. And you could get, the, you could, there was a newspapers, in the back of the newspapers, certain newspapers, there were advertisements. And you could learn to be Mr. Tarzan, you know, and you could, mm. uh, uh, Mr. Universe, not Mr. Tarzan, forgive me, Mr. Universe. Uh, and also alongside these were advertisements to make, for those of you who wanted to be a hairy man, uh, mm. you could get a chest wig. A chest wig, a chest firkin. A chest... Merkin, not even a firkin, a merkin. <laughs> a chest... A chirkin. Yeah, uh, uh, exactly, a chest wig with matching underarm toupees. What do you think of that? Ah. Uh, underarm so... toupees, surely not. <laughs> I don't know. That bit I added on. But definitely there were chest wigs. Shall I tell you my... Yeah, I've, got, no. I've got one experience with waxing. Please, share. Okay. I am just so clumsy and maladroit that 
I thought, okay, well, I'm just not going to shave under my arms anymore. I'm going to go for these little waxing strips. So uh, I did that and it was quite fiddly and it's all a bit sticky, not to be recommended. And anyway, then I was going for a gym session. And in those days, I would join gym classes to sort of get me motivated. And so I put on my Lycra vest and that kind of thing. I put on this really warm black bobbly jumper over the top because it was it was in winter. Anyway, I arrived, did lots of kind of, you know, things with... Uh, things with weights and kettlebells and that kind of thing. And when I got home, both my kids said, oh my God, mum, look under your arms. And the black bobble jumper <laughs> had deposited half a ton of black wool <laughs> under the onto the sticky bits under my arms. <laughs> so if there's a female equivalent of Tarzan, that was me. Oh, I was wonderful. so mortified. And I obviously, I then went around explaining it to everybody. I, I recognised in the gym class and made it way worse. Susie Dent, the girl with the hairiest arms in Christmas. Oh, Fantastic. It was it was a lot of bubbles. Well, on that thought, I think we need a, a break. Some of us to lie down. The rest of us <laughs> to think, is the second half going to be as interesting as this? It can't be. Do stay with us. Imagine a world, a world just like our own, but importantly, not our own. Is it the alternate dimension or are we? And does it have podcasts? The Last Post. Hi, I'm Alice Fraser, bringing you daily news from a parallel universe. It's a sweet, sweet dose of satirical news coverage, some of which will sound pretty familiar. He defended him, saying he broke the lockdown rules on a father's instinct. And I just think if Boris had shielded his as much as he's shielding Cummings, he might actually be in a position to give parenting tips. And some of it is just pretty weird. Air in space is becoming much clearer, Alice. And it's quite shocking because there is no air in space. It's empty space. So join me every single day alongside great comedians from around the world, including Andy Zaltzman, Nish Kumar, Tiff Stevenson and Will Anderson. Good luck to you. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it. Been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular Juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with. A juicy crime story and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments. And you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. This is Something Rhymes with Purple. I'm Giles Brandreth. I'm Pisces. Occasionally, as Pisces is a newt. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are you? What's your star sign, Susie Dent? I'm Scorpio. <gasps> sexy old Scorpio? Yeah, well, it's supposed to be vindictive old Scorpio. No, um, sexy old Scorpio. They're dangerous. Oh, yes, what is your birthday? Me. November. So um, I'm, I'm in November. So when is Pisces? Pisces are fish. What's your temperament supposed to be like? Fish-like? I'm, do you know, in my view, it's a load of nonsense. Uh, I don't mm. even look at it anymore. I used to, I suppose, when I was a child. Uh, fishy, maybe. Uh, swimming in two directions, the, the uh. Pisces fish. We are something like the 21st of February, the 21st of March, that sort of time. Yeah. Um, but as a lovely astrologer, Julia Parker, once said to me, the stars incline, they do not foretell. 
They mm. just give a helpful indication of the kind of personality you might have. And given we know that tides can be affected by the moon. Well, of course. Menstrual cycles, the tides. Exactly. I mean, all Our of brains that. could in some way be affected by yeah. the pull of the, the planets. Hmm. Are there interesting names for the star signs? I mean, have, do you have a list there with their origins? I don't, well, I'll tell you about zodiac for the start, because that goes back to the Greek for animal, which also gave us zoo, because mm. zoo, of course, goes back to zoological gardens and zoology and all of that. And it's a zodiac because most of the signs of the zodiac are represented by animals. And most of them, I think, are probably self-explanatory. So Gemini, not animals this time, Gemini is said to represent the twins Castor and Pollux, this northern constellation. So Castor and Pollux gave their names to the two brightest stars. And so that means twin-like. I don't quite know what sort of temperament you're supposed to have. Maybe confused. Um, then there's Pisces, as you say. There's Scorpion, obviously. Aries is the... Is the, the ram. Bull. Oh, the ram. That's right. Yeah. I think my mum is an Aries, actually. No, my mum is a Taurus. That's a bull, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my sister is an Aries. And so on. So I don't have a list of them, but it, it's they mostly are named after constellations. So there is a constellation called the ram, which was said to represent the ram whose golden fleece was sought by Jason and the Argonauts, believe it or not. So that would have been an ascendance to anyone born under Aries. And then you've got Aquarius, which is a sign of water, a water sign, aqua, and so on and so forth. What, what is Michelle? What sign is your wife? She's Pisces too. It's my okay. wife is, oh, and good. my daughter, Afra, is Cancer. And that's sometime yeah. in the summer. <laughs> Why is a cancer a crab? Where does that word cancer come from? Because the swollen veins around a cancerous tumour were thought, I guess, to ancient Greek medics to resemble the limbs of a crab. Canker was the usual form before we got cancer. So canker and cancer are linked. So, yes, and cancer, of course, as we know, means crab. It's a sign of the crab. And, of course, Leo means the lion. Absolutely. And you do occasionally, you meet a Leo, and they do look a bit Leonine, don't they? It does actually happen, but maybe that's just chance. It's like well, when, when there are 30 people in the room, two of them will have the same birthday. And when there are 70 people in the room, I think four of them will have the same birthday. It's just a really? matter of odds. Yeah. No, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Virgo is a nice one. Yes. The Virgin, the large constellation, said to represent a maiden or a goddess associated with the harvest. So there's a, there are lovely stories behind all of them. And, you know, I, I think maybe we don't quite have the same beliefs that Shakespeare had with the star-crossed lovers. In fact, there's a lovely, see if I can find it, there's a lovely quote which a lot of purple listeners will recognise, which is from King Lear when Edmund, Gloucester's bastard son, call him that just because obviously that's key to the plot, he mocks this kind of blind subservience, I suppose, to influences beyond our control and the beliefs of the time that the stars governed everything. And he said, we make guilty of our disasters, the sun, the moon and the stars, as if we were villains by necessity, fools by heavenly compulsion. Mm, Um, Blaming the gods, blaming the heavens for our own frailties. Yeah, absolutely. Even Satan. Satan was known as Lucifer, And Lucifer is another name for phosphorus. And phosphorus was from the Greek for light bringing, and it was given to the morning star, Venus, which appears in the sky before sunrise. And the chemical element phosphorus was their name because it burns burns so brightly. So that's another one with stars. And you'll find in the Sherlock Holmes stories, Conan Doyle occasionally talks about a Lucifer, which was a match. A match, absolutely. A a phosphorescent match. Phosphorescent match, yep. It's a Lucifer. You lit your pipe with a Lucifer. Yeah, well, twists and turns. 
This is br- this is brilliant stuff. Have you met any spacemen? Oh, my goodness. I had one of the best nights of my life a couple of years ago going to see Chris Hadfield and the Canadian astronaut. I don't know if you've ever seen any of his YouTube videos as to how astronauts shave in space or brush their teeth or, you know, but he also has taken the most incredible photographs from the space station and I should have seen him seen him twice but I got to meet him because he's this is my turn to name drop which I don't tend to do very often because I don't know nearly as many people as you Giles but he's a good friend of Rick Wakeman Mm -hmm. and Rick very sweetly arranged for me and some friends to meet Chris Hadfield before he went on stage in Manchester and he's an incredible person so yes I just I had goosebumps listening to him and seeing his photographs incredible do you remember the first three people to land on the moon? I have a little acronym that helps you. ABC. The A is Neil Armstrong, of course, the first person to yeah. step on the moon. He was yeah. with Buzz Aldrin. The C. I don't think he stepped onto the moon, but he was up there with them. Was he a Chris? Michael Collins. Ah. I remember once being at a, doing an after-dinner speech, and I was next to this man who was a bit tipsy. And I was about to speak, and I said to him, you know, I couldn't really make much sense of him. And he was going to speak too, and I was a bit alarmed. So I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm here because I'm saying whatever I'm saying. I said, what's your claim to fame? He said, I suppose, walking on the moon. <laughs> it's amazing. He was the fourth or fifth man to walk on the moon. How incredible. And he'd got into trouble uh, because when he came back from the moon, when he was up there, he took some stamps up to the moon. And yeah. with a kind of John Bull printing set, he franked the stamps, the moon, the moon, the moon, the moon, the moon, the moon and brought them down to Earth. And the people at NASA did not approve of this. I mean, this sounds like an apocryphal story, but he told it to me. And they didn't approve of this. So he had to leave. He wasn't allowed to keep his stamps. He was furious about this because he said, everybody else, you know, we brought this stuff back from the moon. Everybody in the world's got a bit of moon. They've given a bit to the Queen of England. You know, there's a bit of moon at the Buckingham Palace. They've given it to the Pope. We don't get to keep anything. He said, I was just taking up a few stamps and pranking them. Anyway, isn't that extraordinary? (laughs) That is extraordinary. Bits of the moon and they can't. Yeah. So if you are a space person, if you've been to the moon or if you've been Mm. to outer space and you also listen to Something Rhymes with Purple, do get in touch. It's purple at somethingelse.com. People have been in touch. First of all, somebody has been in touch called Sarah, didn't Mm -hmm. give her surname, to say, how can you talk about Dr. Doolittle? Give credit, which we did the other day. I think it was last week we were talking about Dr. Doolittle. Give credit to Leslie Brickus, who did indeed write the movie version, and forget the person who wrote the original story, Hugh Lofting. Uh-huh. So thank you for that. It was Hugh Lofting. Who have we heard from this week? Marjorie Critch Hyam has contacted us to say, I used the word haywire when describing what went wrong with my photos on a Word document. What is the origin of haywire? And thank you, Marjorie. She says, congratulations on our success at the podcast awards. Thank you for that. Haywire. Shall I go for it, Giles? Go for it, woman. Okay. Well, this simply goes back to the use of hay baling wire in the US in makeshift repairs, essentially. So if you put hay wire around something, you may have done a botched job, but you, you know, it'll be a bit kind of cheap and cheerful. And if it goes haywire, it means that, yeah, it's not stuck very well. But I tell you what this made me think of, and I don't know if Marjorie will be interested in this, but if you, you know, well, you you are full of them, Giles, corny jokes of the best kind. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. They're good corn, good corny jokes. Any idea where that comes from? No, a joke being corny, I'd love to know. Okay. It goes back 
to seed companies that sent seed catalogues of their selections to farmers, just as you might get a seed catalogue these days. But they planted some jokes and cartoons through the catalogues to raise interest in what they were offering. And these jokes became known as corn catalogue jokes. And they were always a bit kind of silly and full of puns, etc. You know, because I think corny can be good and good or bad. And yeah, that's where it comes from. Corn catalogue jokes. That is amazing. I'm writing that down. It's actually so interesting. Hold on. It's fun, isn't it? Yeah. What is the origin of the word joke, by the way? Joke is from the Latin jocus. So you, you'll get jocular and all sorts of things from that. Uh, what so does it, it mean? meant pretty much the same thing. Well, the joke jo- or, jolly. or kind of, yeah, jolly, jolliness. I think for them, it was, it was also not just a jest, but wordplay as well, a jocus. Speaking of corny jokes, why did the loaf of bread go to the doctor? It was feeling crummy. And why did the banana go to the doctor? Uh, Hang on. Something wrong with its skin? It wasn't peeling well. (laughs) (laughs) Why did the computer go to the doctor? Uh, It needed... No, go go for it. It had a virus. How could I not get that one? (laughs) Okay, Uh, let's get back to uh, run of the mill. Oh, no, it's not run of the mill. It's the word run of the mill. Yeah. This is a message... Hi, Susie. Hi, Giles. English has such a wealth of extraordinary words, and there are even some interesting ones for the concept of ordinary, such as run-of-the-mill mm. or bog-standard. Could you please elaborate on the origin of these terms? Best wishes from Germany. This is from Heike, H-E-I-K-E. Or Heike, if she's oh, German. Heike. Heike. Ah, is, that, is that how you said Heike? Yes, Heike. Good question. Run-of-the-mill is simply the material that's produced by a mill before it's sorted. So most of the material would be inspected for quality, but the the run-of-the-mill is there before it. And in fact, banal also goes back to a banal mill and is pretty much the same idea of stuff that hasn't really thoroughly been sifted through and you haven't picked out the good bits from the bad. So that's run-of-the-mill. Bog standard, lots of theories around this one, Giles, but most dictionaries will tell you it's probably a riff on box standard. In other words, basic or unmodified. And it's said to have been applied to motorcycles that were brand new, unmodified, straight out of the box. So we think that box became bog, perhaps because, you know, you don't associate bog things with anything particularly nice. The bog in British English means the loo. Maybe because it was just thought of as being sort of slightly unpleasant, box standard became bog standard and kind of, you know, boring and dull and not that great. Well, if people have got queries and they want to share them with us, you know where to get in touch with us. It's um, purple at something else dot com and something mm. without the G. Dan has been in touch from Newcastle under Lyme. Hi, Susie and Giles. Question came up in conversation with my youngest son, Jack, an 11-year-old who's about to leave primary school. I was having my usual joke with him about his school report being terrible, which he always <laughs> sees straight through, but I try anyway. I told him that his teacher had referred to him as a right bounder. He gave me a puzzled look and asked if that meant he had no boundaries. Mm. I said I didn't know where the word came from, but I had always taken it to refer to someone who bounded around being a bit naughty. Do Mm. you know the history of the word? Love the show. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you for that. How fascinating, you bounder, you cad. One thinks of people like Terry Thomas or... Uh, playing bounders. You rotter. You rotter. Uh, you rotter, so you bounder. You cad. What is the origin of the expression bounder? Well, just before we get to bounder, cad actually was a shortened form of caddy. And that was used for a junior 
officer or army cadet and then applied to a chancellor looking to make some sort of quick money by running errands for things. So quite often you'll find that these are first used at public schools. I think CAD was first used at Eton as, as a kind of contemptuous term. So that's CAD, but Bounder, in fact, Jack, uh, who, who wrote the letter? It was Dan, wasn't it? Jack, Dan's son, is closer to the truth, actually, than Dan, because it was someone seeking to step over the boundary of their lower mm. class status, apparently, by adopting the manners of the aristocracy. And then it became a kind of byword for somebody who didn't quite cut it as a gentleman, if you like, and so their manners were a bit vulgar. And then it progressed into someone who was just a little bit immoral. Oh, very good. Are you good yeah. at your boundaries? Are you good at boundaries? I've decided I, I need to step over as many as I can now. I think I've, I've played it too safe through life. I'm, I'm going to go for Can the- I say, I think you have, to be honest. Yes. I'm, very, I'm glad that you're becoming a bit unboundary. That's what we want. What, you- where, where does this take me? We'll have to have a chat about what, well, what I do t- to manifest it, this. It takes you to all sorts of exciting places. We were talking the other day, weren't we, about going together to somewhere near Lake Geneva. Lake Annecy. Lake Annecy. Yes. We're going, to get, we're going to be there together. We have this fantasy, settling down. Well, he a... might have a fantasy. I'm not... <laughs> anyway, well, sorry, so I thought we were being unboundaried. <laughs> I thought that was going to be allowed. Yeah, but I'm not sure you and I near Lake Annecy is, is being unboundaried. Well, it is in Not in my, in my imagination. It is in my imagination. I'm a <laughs> ma- married man. I guess it's Taking you now, to Lake... Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, that's, that's unboundaried by my standards. That's, okay. Oh, you expect that of people, do you? Just because I was a Conservative MP doesn't mean to say <laughs> that I'm a naughty Tory chasing you around you the are banks a of Bounder. Okay, no, I, do, I definitely need to to drop my boundaries, but maybe not in that respect. I okay. think take Michelle, and then you can tell me just how lovely it is. I will tell you. I will see you on the other side of the lake, knocking back your Gordons. <laughs> we know you. Now tell me what your three words of the week are, Susie. Oh, uh, my trio. Okay, so. You have to remember that most of these just pop into my head quite randomly, but sometimes they're sparked by contemporary events. And this is one that I tweeted quite recently just because various actions of various people reminded me of this. And it's a great word. It's empleomania, E-M-P-L-E-O, which is uh, the Spanish here for employ, and then mania. And it's the manic compulsion to hold public office at any cost. Mm. Empleomania. Um, Empleomania. Mm. So there's another one here which empleomania might make you feel that you, you you're just a bit glumpy. To glump is to look sullen or glum. I mean, it's it's not, it's kind of, you know, you can see what it says on the tin, but I just quite like the idea of a glump. And finally, this isn't in the dictionary yet. I get so many tweets about this and questions. I just thought I would do it because I think it needs to go in the dictionary now. Nibbling. Know what a nibbling is? A nibbling? Yes. Oh, I do know. It's a nephew or a niece. Absolutely. Like a sibling. A sibling. And it's not in the dictionary. Not in the dictionary yet, no. Even though it's been around for quite a long it time. And it's an obvious linguistic gap, isn't it? It is. Um, yeah, nibbling. Your siblings are your brothers and sisters. Your nibblings yes. are your nephews and nieces. Speaking of linguistic gaps, can I throw out a challenge to our purple listeners? Please. We need a word for that kind of pavement dance that you do when, particularly now, when we're trying to avoid people and, and socially distance, when you just, you go one way, they go the same way. You go a different way and they go the same way. It's a pavement dance, but there's got to be a better word for it. Probably a blend, I think. So anyone who can come up with a word, I will be very grateful and also incredibly impressed. The Pavement Dance. Would you please send the words for that to us? You write to purple at somethingelse.com. You can tweet us as well. Get hold of us 
any which way you like. I love that. Mm. It's wonderful to introduce a new word to the language. Through it. Through the podcast. Yeah. I've had a poem sent in to read, which is rather nice. Oh, nice. We were, well, we were talking about hypochondria the other day. We were. And this is a, the tragic tale of Albert Ignatius. No author is given. So if you are the author, lay claim to this in a future episode. And this is the story of Albert Ignatius. This is the story of Albert Ignatius, a boy obsessed by fear of the contagious. He washed his lettuce and dusted his beets, rinsed his carrots and powdered his feets. He inhaled through a mask and listened through a tube and for intimate functions used lots of lube. He dipped the dog and sprayed the cat. He poured disinfectant all over the mat. Washed his hands before every meal. He wouldn't eat pork and he wouldn't eat veal and generally caused misery all over his home. So they saved up and bought him a dome and stuck him out on the family lawn where he sat disconsolate from dusk till dawn. And mothers warned their children's dear, if you make a fuss, you'll end up here. A warning there to young hypochondriacs. And we know that Jack, age 11, is listening. So if you had a bit of a hypo, that's about you. I'm, I'm sure he's not. No. He's Jack not. sounds like a sensible guy. He, he got does. his etymology right. He did. He's, he's a brilliant guy. Well, and you're not a bad girl. That's it for this week. Um, more from us next week. I don't know what we're going to be talking about then. No, we will We will choose something. Well, speaking before we go, isn't it funny the way nobody can say the word Uranus without laughing and smirking? Aren't we funny? <laughs> Aren't human beings ridiculous? Absolutely. We see Uranus, we just see the word, and a sort of silly smirk goes over people's faces. And people, yes. when they say it, just do something silly. It's, it's ridiculous. It is. But it's, that that is life and that is that's comedy and that's why we love it. I have to say my daughter is one of those that also smirks. Thank you for listening to us. Please do get in touch, as Giles says. Um, email us. We do genuinely read absolutely everything and it makes our day hearing from you. Purple at something else.com. Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Harriet Wells, Grace Laker and... This is amazing. This person is the character who actually twiddles the knobs and makes all this happen. And we can see him on a screen. He's got a huge beard and he's now got a huge sign in front of him. And on it he's written, Uranus, oh golly. No. <laughs>